Today on The Ticker Tapes, we hear from Jodie, whose life changed forever one summer's day in August 2021, when her then 14-month-old daughter Sienna suffered a sudden cardiac arrest following a happy family outing to the park. I remember at that point feeling like I just lost the plot. I remember feeling like I was somebody else looking in on my life and my head was spinning. And I remember just walking up and down outside Kaylee's house, just howling, if I'm honest. And I was like, she's died. She's gone. I've lost her. From the BHF, I'm Sarah Marsh. And on the ticker tapes, we hear from people living with heart and circulatory conditions. On this episode, Jodie tells me how her whole family history as she knew it has been rewritten over the past 18 months because of the inherited and as yet incurable heart condition, Regarda syndrome. Jodie speaks frankly about coming to terms with these life-changing events, the impact on her and her husband Jamie as parents, and how her tireless support of the work of the British Heart Foundation has given her both new purpose and hope for the future. Jodie, thank you so much for joining us on the Ticker Tapes today. I wanted to start, if we could, by going right back to the beginning to talk about when Sienna was born, which was May 2020. So a bit of a strange time, a couple of months into the first national COVID lockdown. Um, And I know your son, Theo, was three when she was born. And I just wondered what you remember about that time, really. Yeah, it it was a difficult time, obviously. Periods of isolation where we wasn't able to see friends and family. Um, So it was definitely challenging. But luckily, um, Sienna was a a good girl and Theo's such a good boy. So it made it easier. Yeah. Um, My husband, Jamie, he runs his own business. So it was work as usual for him. He's in the construction industry. So he was off working every single day as normal. Um, I was very much at home on my own quite a lot. Um, Yeah. So, yeah, it was challenging, as it was for for lots of families uh, across the UK at the time. Sienna, I know, was a a healthy baby. She was born with a large birthmark on her left leg. That's right. um, Which I know um, runs right down her left leg and has grown with her. And you're currently under the care of Great Ormond Street Hospital for that. But apart from her birthmark, there weren't any concerns about Mm -hmm. Sienna's health when she was born? Not at all. Um, I mean, from the time that she was born to the time of her cardiac arrest, we hadn't even seen a doctor. Um, mm. She was really fit and and well. There was no concerns. Um, I remember when she was born, um, and she obviously, as you said, she was born with that very large birthmark on her leg. And one of the doctors said to us, um, in very rare circumstances, they can be linked to heart conditions. So just right. to be aware of that. And it always stayed with Jamie and I. But it was something that we were just like, you know, look at her. She's absolutely fine. There's nothing wrong with her at all. So in the end, we kind of just dismissed that, that show. Mm. What what was she like uh, as a baby and during that first year? Because I, I know Sienna, I'm lucky enough to know her well now, and she's such a little character. But I wondered what she was like in that first year of her life. Yeah, so when she was very first born, she was the dream baby, Um Really, like the first couple of weeks, we were in this absolute baby bubble. Um, but she did become quite challenging after that. You know, there was periods of extreme crying. She was very fussy. She wouldn't go to anybody else really other than me. It was quite difficult, to be honest. Towards the sort of last part of her first year, she settled down. And I think as she got more independence and she was able to to do a bit more, she seemed to settle. But there was certainly a period in which she was really, really challenging she needed a lot of comfort I used to have to carry around in a sling quite a lot um which was fine you know we got by but it was difficult um yeah. now looking back I wonder if there was issues with her heart um yeah and things that we perhaps put down to a bit of reflux or wind or you mm-hmm. know usual baby issues problems but perhaps looking back maybe there was things that that we could have looked at Hindsight's a wonderful thing, though, isn't it? It's, and you just never think it's going to be something like that. You just wind no. or, yeah, and it well could have been. It, you know, we don't know. So we fast forward to Tuesday, the third of August, twenty twenty one, which was a seemingly normal hot summer's day, and Theo, 
had had a sleepover at your best friend Kaylee's house. And Kaylee's obviously a mum to two lovely children, Ariana and Reed herself. So you drove over with Sienna to collect Theo that day. Um, And you and Kaylee had decided to take the children to the park. And Sienna was on good form, wasn't she? I just wondered if you could tell us a bit about your memories of that day in the lead up to what happened. So when we woke up that morning, it was just Jamie, Sienna and myself and I remember us even joking that, the, you know, that morning about how much easier it is with just one child. So even though Theo's an angel, I think every parent will understand that when you're just down to one child again, mm. it's a lot easier, isn't it? I remember that morning she was having the most amazing cuddles with Jamie before he went to work. Mm. And I actually captured a couple of beautiful photos of them. Um, she was really, really happy. And I remember, like, you know, she was climbing up the stairs and I was chasing her up the stairs and... She had some new shoes on and she was telling us all about her new shoes and really trying to talk. Um, And she was on top form. Um, I remember she had like her walker and she was really walking around with with that. And I thought, she's going to walk today. I really thought that was going to be the the first, her first steps were going to be taken that day. We went to go and collect Theo from Kaylee's house. And when we got there, Typically, the children were like, I don't want to go home yet. So we decided to go to the park because it was a a beautiful day. And even at the park, Sienna was playing in the the sandpit. We were holding her hand and we were walking around. She was just really, really bright, really happy. She had an ice cream. There was absolutely nothing untoward. No signs. I look back and Kaylee does the same. We look back and we Mm. think, was there something that we missed? But there wasn't. She was absolutely fine so you were about to head back and then she had what you Sienna had what you thought was possibly a bad reaction to a wasp sting because obviously it was a hot summer's day and she yelped in your arms didn't she and then it was on the way back she suddenly became really ill very quickly can you just talk us through what happened we were in the park so I was carrying her and you could actually see Kaylee's house from the park that we were in so I was holding her and she kind of just went oh like that and kind of threw herself back and made noise um and I sort of was like oh Sienna and then there was um an insect like flying around a wasp so I was like I batted it away and I just instantly thought she's been stung but it's really strange because something instantly changed I remember like so Kaylee was talking to a friend of hers and I just said she's been stung we need to go it was completely over the top reaction at the time for what we thought was a sting. But I don't know if it's like a mother's instinct. I don't know. Something just changed and we knew we had to go. Um, and then Sienna started being really violently sick, um, uh-huh. really vomiting an awful lot the whole way back to, to Kaylee's house. When we got back, she seemed a little brighter. So she started singing again. And we were kind of just baffled because you know, she had been so well, then all of a sudden she was got upset, she was vomiting, and then all of a sudden she seemed quite well well again. Mm. Um, I just said to Kaylee, look, well, you know, I need to get changed. So Kaylee got me a change of outfit and I said I need to just get her home, really. So yeah. we were in the car and I was just sorting a couple of things out in the boot and Kaylee came out of the house and I'd left seeing her in her car seat and she had like one of those 360 yeah. seats. So I'd left her facing outwards, um, which I never do, actually, but I did on this occasion. And Kaylee just said to me, Jodie, something's really not right. She was like, Sienna. And she was just, Sienna, darling, are you okay? Um, And Mm. Sienna just was so poorly. Like, it's an image that just you never forget, and it just haunts you. I think it's one of those images that you just, you can't ever get that out of your head again. Yeah. so when I looked at her in her car seat, her hands were kind of sort of coming up and her head was kind of rolling backwards. Her eyes were rolling and she was like grey. And it was, you know, as a parent, sometimes you you think, oh, do we need to get an ambulance or do we need to get urgent medical yeah. care on this? Until you're in that situation, there's, you know, there's no doubt. Like we knew we needed an ambulance instantly. Um, I got her out of her car seat and I just remember screaming at Kaylee saying, like, get an ambulance. And she already had her hand in her phone. She was she was calling 999. 
yeah. I had her in my arms and she just was becoming more and more unwell. Her eyes mm. were still rolling. And by this stage, she was gasping for breath. Um, and that, yeah. you know, those gasps were becoming less and less frequent. And her eyes were starting to close. And I remember holding her and just like, you know, just screaming and, and saying, no, like, no, this can't be happening. And it's like, what, watching your little girl slip away before your very eyes, utterly terrifying. And I could feel, like, her fighting. And I was saying to her, like, Sienna, please, darling, like, please don't go, Sienna. Like, really just trying to encourage her to, to stay with me. But she was a 14-, 15-month-old baby. And and then she lost consciousness. Um, and I just remember yeah. at that point just screaming, saying she's died. Um, Kaylee was on the phone to the, the ambulance you know, operator at the time. Yeah. And she was, you know, Kaylee's very calm. She's very, very calm. She's very, very collected. Um mm-hmm. in that situation. She was everything you could wish for. Yeah. And yeah. I remember saying to her, Kaylee, she's died. She's died. And I was screaming. And I said, She's not breathing, you know. And Kaylee came over and checked her and she said, No, she's not. And for me, once Kaylee had said, No, she is not, it really yeah. it made me realise like this is actually happening. I mean, I remember you saying that Kaylee's so calm and, and, and was the best person to have there that day. And it just, your best friend. And also, you know, she's Sienna's godmother as well. So for her, this is happening to someone she loves so much and I know considers almost as her own daughter as well. And so she called 999, as you said, and I know she hadn't had training in CPR, but she started performing CPR on Sienna, didn't she? she did, yeah. One-handed, because Sienna's so was so tiny. Yeah. What was that like watching your best friend trying to save your child's life in yeah. front of you? Um, it was really, really tough. I mean, when when Sienna stopped breathing and there was she was unresponsive, she was unconscious, um, Kaylee took her from me and she laid her on the, in the hallway of her house. Um, the front door was open and she just laid her down and she just looked tiny like Sienna just looked tiny and she had these little shoes on and all I remember seeing was just these little shoes these two little shoes just sat there and thinking I've lost her like she's she's gone and Kaylee had put um the call on loudspeaker so that she could concentrate on Sienna and, and listen to the call and obviously when the when the corporator said is there a defibrillator to happen I think Kaylee knew then this is, you know, this is bad. Um, yeah. And I can't imagine the pressure that she was under at that time because, as you just said, it, it's one thing to perform CPR. I think it's another thing to perform CPR to someone that you love. Mm. I think it goes a whole other level to yeah. CPR on a baby, um, mm-hmm. that tiny little body. And, yeah, it was. I, I couldn't watch it. I couldn't. I remember just at that point feeling like I just lost the plot I remember feeling like I was somebody else looking in on my life and my head was spinning I felt really dizzy and I remember just walking up and down outside Kaylee's house just howling if I'm honest just absolute I wasn't even crying it was that I was howling and I was like she's died she's gone I've lost her and and that's when I had to phone Jamie at that point. I just was like, I need, I need my husband now. I need him here. Um, so I phoned Jamie. Um, this was at about half past four. Mm-hmm. And it's normally the time that I would ring him and say, shall I put dinner on? Are you on your way yeah. home? Just that yeah. call that we all make. And I phoned him and I remember him answering the call and he was like, here she is. And I was just hysterical down the phone, just saying she's died, she's gone. And, you know, he was like, well, what are you talking about? And I said, Sienna, she's she's died. She's Kaylee's doing CPR. And for him, I think, you know, just driving along, yeah, work day, getting that call that everyone gets. Only this time, like it wasn't it wasn't to see what time he was going to be home for dinner. It was a, a call that changed his life, you know, forever. Yeah. And so yeah, um, then I sort of finished the call with Jamie and went back to to Kaylee and she'd at that point, Sienna was made a little noise. There was like 
coming back. Okay. Um, which was, you know, incredible. You must have just been in a state of shock. And I know, so then the, the paramedics arrived and you were sort of blue lighted to hospital. And she, Sienna, had a seizure while she was in the ambulance. And yeah. at this point, you still weren't sure, were you, what exactly what had happened? But I remember you saying to me, and this really stayed with me, you looking out of the window as the world was sort of rushing by as this ambulance was racing to hospital and just suddenly being hit by this realisation that life as you knew it had changed forever. Mm-hmm. And not only that, that you knew that you needed to find strength now that you never thought you would have to have as a mum. Yeah. And I just think that is such a powerful image. And I just, I wondered if you could just talk a little bit about that, the fact that you just instinctively knew that everything had changed forever. Yeah, I think when we got into the ambulance, I was still in a, um, if I'm honest, I was at that point feeling um, relieved, feeling like she's alive, she was crying at this stage. um, Yeah. I could only describe that as, and I, I wonder if any other parent who's been in a similar situation will understand what I'm saying here, but it was like that newborn cry. When she cried, because she'd been silent for about 10, 15 minutes, I think. Yeah. When she did cry, it was a real, like, from her lungs, it was such a big cry and it was such a relief. And then I went into the ambulance with Sienna and I just remember feeling really grateful, really thankful that, you know, we were now in the best care and that she was alive and she was she was okay, she was crying. Mm. And then, as you say, she began to have a seizure Um and that was really difficult to watch, really difficult. Um, yeah. Her whole body just seized up. Her arms and her legs were kind of just making very, very unnatural movements. Mm. And it was really difficult to see. And she looked like she was really struggling. Um, and I remember saying to the paramedic, is this normal? Mm. She was like, no, it's not It's not normal, no, but we need to find out what's wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and I couldn't look at Sienna in that way. And as you said, I just sort of looked over and there was a, a window in the ambulance, tiny window, and I just looked out of it. And I just remember thinking, life is never, ever going to be the same. Mm. But I just knew that something was seriously wrong with her now and I didn't know what way I was going to have Sienna. I didn't. I just knew Sienna was never going to be the same child as when I yeah. left home. And I was on my own. I didn't have anyone with me, like... Sienna was reliant on me and so yeah I had to dig deep and I had to talk to myself in a way that I've never spoken to myself before and exactly as you as you said I just said to myself come on you know you've got to you've got to put your big girl pants on and you need to be strong for your little girl because she needs you and life's never going to be the same and you need to face this head on. It's a huge amount of emotion to kind of process in a very short space of time. And when you arrived at hospital, you were told that Sienna's heart had been beating at more than 310 beats per minute at one point. Yeah. And that she'd had a cardiac, a sudden cardiac arrest. Were you just in shock when they told you that? Yeah. So when we arrived um, in the ambulance, they had been very, very clear with me that when we were to arrive at the hospital, there would be a team of professionals that would, you know, be urgently caring for Sienna, that that she would be taken to resuscitation. When the doors opened, I couldn't quite prepare for the emergency that really mm. was taking place. Um, there was just doctors from every angle. They rushed her through and hooked her up to um, a monitor. Mm-hmm. And her heart rate come through and it was 315 beats per minute. And mm. the doctor said, oh, there must be a mistake with that. Let's let's hook her onto another machine. Mm-hmm. And again, it was still saying the same thing. They were like, no, this really is her her heart rate. Um, so they had to administer something called adenosine mm-hmm. and it would literally stop her heart and restart it. And mm-hmm. she had to have that three times. She had her maximum dose and they prepared us that she'd have to go into a coma. Um, thankfully, it worked on the, the final dose. Um, and she started to come started to come back down in the right direction and mm-hmm. um, but it took several hours to kind of stabilize her and I remember the doctor saying to me did you see her get stung and I was like um no but that you know but there was a wasp yeah 
And he was like, that's what I need to hear. Like, mm. this is a cardiac issue. It isn't an anaphylactic reaction. Yeah. This is a cardiac issue. And mm. straight away then they um, got on the phone to the Royal Brompton Hospital. And mm-hmm. I believe they were even FaceTiming, which is in- incredible. Yeah, it was uh, an incredible, like the way collectively. The care came together. Yeah. So quickly. So quickly. Yeah. And then after maybe, I don't know, probably about half an hour, mm-hmm. said, do you have family? Yes, like grandparents, like obviously seeing as grandparents. And they were like, we think it may be a good idea if they was to come up to the hospital. This was a time of, of COVID restrictions. So you weren't allowed visitors in the hospital. You wasn't allowed, you know, to come and go as you please mm-hmm. in hospitals. Um, but they, they asked us to bring our families up. Um, and I think that was the point when I just thought she is she's not out of the woods yet. Yeah. Um, so that was really difficult, really, really tough. I remember her grandparents turning up at that hospital in utter despair. Um, yeah. Just thinking, what on earth is this? And I remember just saying, it's not, you know, it's not looking good. Prepare yourself for the worst. It's it's really not looking good. Yeah. Um, and yeah, her little fighting spirit and the way she was definitely gave everyone hope I think people left that hospital thinking we we've got a fight on our hands here and that's exactly what she's been ever since yeah she is a real little fighter she's such an incredible character um so Sienna's case turned out to be incredibly complex um and she went on to be diagnosed with multiple heart conditions yeah including the inherited and currently incurable Brigada syndrome um and she's under the care of the Royal Brompton and she also had to go on to have an ICD fitted yeah but because she was so small that had to be done via open heart surgery in her stomach and she was hooked up to all kinds of machines was having all kinds of tests what was that like um as her parents having to cope you know with her little her little body going through so much over those weeks and months yeah that was really really hard it was without a doubt the most traumatic time of my life I think I certainly said goodbye to Jodie as everyone knew and loved um, and certainly changed my character um, and same for Jamie as well. There's nothing natural at all about seeing your child in that in that way. And when we turned up to the hospital on um, at the Royal Brompton, it was for her to have like an Ashmaline test to confirm mm-hmm. the diagnosis of Brigada yeah. syndrome. Yeah. She had a very strong positive reaction to that, which which confirmed that is what she had. Um, and that is what caused the cardiac arrest. And yeah. Else. So they said that because of her history and what had happened, she was far too high risk to leave hospital. And their recommendation was for the ICD to be fitted. And that they weren't happy for us to leave hospital until that happened. So mm-hmm. we agreed to stay put. Um, I didn't want to put Sienna at risk, obviously. No. And so we had a period of time because obviously it's a very rare um, circumstance to be in. It isn't something that can just be, let's mm-hmm. just do that. Um, yeah. The doctors had to consult with other um, experts globally and all determined that this was the best course of action for Sienna mm-hmm. um yeah. collectively they agreed that that was that was the right thing to do and she was booked in for surgery um but during her stay at the Royal Brompton we were walking down the corridor Sienna and I and there was like fish and you know artwork along the wall and mm-hmm. she was walking along with her little her, you know her monitors and I remember all these alarms going off and doctors kind of running out from every direction again. And they were saying, where's Sienna Bocrook? Where's Sienna? So I said, she's here. And she was absolutely fine. She was talking, she was chatting, she was pointing. Mm. And they were like, her heart rate's 280 beats per minute. We need to get her in this room right now. Wow. Whisked her into into her room. And they were like, you know, maybe her monitors are not quite right. Obviously got her on something else. And lo and behold, her heart rate was in fact 280 beats per minute. Um, so we had to go through the whole thing again of the adenosine and and try and try and reduce that heart rate. Um, mm-hmm. She needed the maximum dose, but thankfully it worked. And at that point, they said we're going to transfer her into intensive care because mm-hmm. to she, her heart is doing some incredibly difficult and strange things. Um, 
So let's get her moved. And that was on a Saturday. And on the Saturday afternoon, the doctor's, uh, Sienna's consultant, come to see me and Jamie. And she just said, we need to have a chat. Mm-hmm. And just the the air kind of just changed again as we learnt the true yeah. severity of Sienna's yeah. And I remember her saying, you know, when you look at Sienna, she tolerates her heart condition so well. She doesn't mm-hmm. look like there's anything wrong. Her heart rate beats at 300 beats per minute and she carries on like nothing's happening. Mm. And we also learned at that point that she had something called sick sinus syndrome. Mm-hmm. And so she was missing beats quite a lot and having mm-hmm. periods of very slow heart rates. Um, and the doctor just said, you know, she's a remarkable little girl who tolerates her conditions so, so well, but mm-hmm. she can't sustain them. It is not sustainable um and time is of the essence and for that reason we are looking to do fit the icd and pacemaker um mm-hmm. tomorrow on the sunday mm-hmm. um so obviously me and jamie had to just go with that um yeah you know, i had absolute full trust in the care that sienna was receiving mm-hmm. no doubt in my mind that if that's what the doctor said had to happen, then that is what needed to happen. Yeah. So that she spent the next 24 hours collating a team of surgeons, um, arranged for the theatre to be open on a Sunday because they don't open on a Sunday at the Brompton. Mm-hmm. Um, when we went back to see Sienna, we told the the nurse, you know, oh, she's going to be operated on tomorrow. She looked at us like we was crazy. Like, you know, they don't open on a Sunday. It, that doesn't happen. Um, but they did open on a Sunday and... Sienna did have her VIP treatment, as we say. <laughs> um, handing her over was yeah. absolutely just horrendous. Um, and I remember when in the morning they brought the paperwork to us and when you're signing this off as her parent and agreeing to those risks, it is horrendous. And I remember saying, like, I just can't believe I'm signing this. And Because yeah. it said on there um, that one in... I think it was one in a hundred children don't make it so I know that is still incredibly good odds I know it is it's still 99% do make it yeah but actually like that seems like a lot doesn't it one in yeah it does children don't make that operation and yeah and I said I, I'm not I'm not happy with that and he just said there's no more options there's no. nothing else that we can do and she's already had a cardiac arrest and she's already lucky to be alive. You know, we had to just, we had to go with it. Just having com- having conversations that you never, ever thought you'd have to have and seeing your tiny baby, your one-year-old little girl, her little body being put through things you never thought it would have to. I, I mean, I can imagine that it does change you fundamentally as a person. Yeah. Um, but it must have been so hard, Jodie. I think the night when we left the night before, I just never wanted to, I never wanted to go because like, I thought, what if this is the last bedtime bottle that I give her? Or what if this is like the last time I stroke her little hair to go to sleep? And, and it was a very real risk. Um, Yeah. And yeah, it was tough. And I think you try and be, you try and be strong but there's nothing normal about that. There's nothing no. that can prepare you for that. Um, no. And I remember, like, the next morning, in typical Sienna style, we got there early, of course, um, and when we got in there, she had... Um, my dad and my stepmom had bought her, like, a vanity set, um, mm-hmm. and she was blow-drying his <laughs> hairs, like, pretending uh. to hairs. Um, and they said, oh, well, Sienna's given us all a bouncy blow-dry. Um, <laughs> Um, and that just sums Aww. up like Sienna and her yeah her character um yeah I made it you know obviously gave us all a laugh and and it was it was funny and like you say it was her personality that carried yeah, you through exactly um and when Jamie and I took her down they they said are you ready I was like no I'm absolutely not ready um and I think as well like a lot of people will probably understand this in that you sort of look to your, like, Jamie's quite a strong character um, Mm -hmm. in terms of, oh, she'll be okay and, you know, much more of that mindset. He's always, you know, things will be okay as opposed to Mm -hmm. anything else. Um, And when you see him just, like, utterly broken as well, 
um you really? just have to find that strength in each other um and i think yeah. we did that we dug deep and we definitely definitely did that the bhf's life-saving research is giving hope to so many people if you would like to support our work please consider a donation by going to bhf.org.uk forward slash donate pod just incredible amount you went through in just a few months and it's and obviously after she had the ICD fitted you'd had the diagnosis confirmed that it was Brigada syndrome yeah um and because it is an inherited condition your family then underwent genetic testing um and subsequently you were diagnosed Theo was diagnosed your dad Steve yeah your aunt Suzanne all subsequently diagnosed with the same condition but even before you were told that, you instinctively knew, didn't you, yeah. that it, it it was from you? So as soon as they said it was Brigada syndrome and it was inherited, I just, I knew it was going to, I just knew it was me. And Jamie and I both had ECGs mm-hmm. completed that same day. We had our bloods taken for genetic testing and I pushed um, the consultant that night for for the results and I just said, like, you know, has something shown up on either of our ECGs? Mm-hmm. And she said, yeah, something subtle has shown up that would indicate that it is one of you, that which one it is, yeah. Um, but, you know, she wanted to emphasise it was subtle and yeah. that she would, she didn't want to share that information yet. And I was rather insistent. Um, mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. she said, I said, it's me, isn't it? And she just said, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's looking like it's you. Mm-hmm. Um, so at that point they arranged for Jamie and I to have Ajmaline testing um mm-hmm. same mm-hmm. way that Sienna did to see if we would get a, a positive reaction for Brigada syndrome mm-hmm. and we was booked in for the Friday and we had that done and that had to be done in like a theatre setting so that they had everything you know available should they need it like all the equipment and and whatever else so I went down first, they sort of prepared me for the test um, and I was in the theatre and I just remember the consultant just popping his computer screen down and saying, walking around and just saying to me, we can't do the test, I'm going to have to, like, we're going to have to abandon it. Um, I can see you've got the Brigada pattern already and it's just too risky. You're already showing the the pattern, It it is you. Um, so that was really, really tough, obviously. Um, yeah. I think when I learned it was me, it was just why it was like a just one thing after another. Yeah. Like wave after wave after wave. And it was really, really hard to kind of get your head around that. And of course, then you you fear for your family. I was fearful for Theo. It was bad enough as it was, but it escalated at that point. And, you know, I've got a sister got nieces I've got a brother hmm. and you're thinking if I've got it have they got it is yeah. it my mum or is it my dad um but you know we lost my nan quite suddenly at, yeah. at a fairly young age and mm-hmm. she was a fit and healthy lady and I was quite sure that that's where the line was yeah once I knew it was me I was quite sure that it was it was my dad and then my nan your great-granddad Tom had died very suddenly yeah very young I think he was 50 you said yeah. and so you you could almost like trace it back and you were tracing it back weren't you yeah, exactly. before you knew yeah you could see you could see where it came from that must be so strange like it's like a family tree you never want to write exactly that we spoke about this as well a couple of times but my nan died on the 3rd of August yeah that's the yeah. time that Sina also had her cardiac arrest just seems like an eerie coincidence to me so strange isn't it yeah it's yeah and it was like you know Sienna was the youngest in our family um regarding syndrome and my nan obviously the one that that we lost to it so it just seemed to yeah be a very you like strange way the, the strange day for Sienna to have the crisis and I know you said that when you were told that it was you out of you and Jamie that had the brigada, that obviously that was really, really hard. Obviously, there's nothing you could have done about it. You didn't know you had it, but but it's still a very human thing, thinking that you've passed something on to your children and you can't protect them from it. I mean, has coming to terms with that been really hard as well? Yeah, it's been hugely difficult. Um, yeah. I remember the night that she was diagnosed 
and she was just like, sleeping in her in the cot in the hospital um and i that's when i knew that it was there was the changes on the ecg that indicated that it was me um mm. didn't know 100% at that point but i knew in my heart it was me yeah and i remember just saying to her like i'm so sorry like just talking to her like jamie had gone for the night and i remember just mm talking to her and just saying like I'm so so sorry that that I've done this to you like and you know people will say oh you didn't know and and that's right yeah I know. nothing was ever you know I didn't do that intentionally but ultimately like I gave her something I made her and as a mum like you just want to yeah protect your children and give them the best and of course. and I just felt like I'd let her down like because I passed that to her and you know the Watching her fight the way that she has mm. is like, I feel like it, it could have been avoided if it wasn't for me. Like, she wouldn't have gone through all of that if it wasn't for me. And I remember saying to Jamie, like, I'm just so sorry. Like, I remember, and he just, like, we sat in the hospital and he was crying and I was crying. I was like, I'm so sorry. Like, I've let us all down. And I was like, and I'm just so sorry. Um, I'm sorry that I've done this. And I remember him just being like, you are the best mum to our children. Absolutely. Like, Absolutely. He was like, you are the best, best mum. And, and yeah, whilst that's like lovely to hear and people say the like nice, kind things. Yeah. It doesn't change the fact that it did come from me. And I've had to watch her fight for her life because of something that came from me. You've gone on such a journey the last... 18 months and it probably feels like much longer period of time in some ways a much shorter period of time in some ways but it's been a hard road that you've had to travel hasn't it it's yeah. been hard yeah it's been difficult and um there was so much like I remember coming home and feeling like from after she had her open heart surgery coming home and feeling like a sense of relief but also being like mm. absolutely petrified because it's yeah it's like well what now then um you know, like, how do we, how do we function now as a family when everything we've ever known is different and everything we've ever known has changed? What if she dies in her sleep? Or what if she has another cardiac arrest? Or, you know, everything just seemed really scary. The world seemed like the scariest place. And I remember, you know, the doctor saying, time will help. It's sad how quickly you will adapt, but you will. And yeah. You have to. Yeah. Because this is life now. It's not going to change and and you have to. Um, and me and Jamie has a bit of um, counselling at the hospital as well that they arranged some some support for us. And that yeah. was really helpful. They gave us some really good tips for the, you know, for the future. And and also learning that there's different stages to a diagnosis mm-hmm. like this and you won't both be at the same point at the same time. Yeah. And as a couple, you're going to have... Um, you're going to be at different stages and one of you might be like further along than the other and that's mm-hmm. okay. It's about waiting for each other and it's about supporting each other. But that mm-hmm. as well is also easier said than done. It, well, it's definitely something that's not spoken about enough, like how parents in this situation, but how anyone would cope with this kind of diagnosis. But as a couple, as you say, yeah. you know, also trying to pay the bills, keep life on track, all the things that we all have to do whilst trying to process this life-shattering news and also as you say learning how to be in an entirely new way as a family and what has helped is is it the fact that you've just kept talking through all of it the fact that if one of you's been struggling the other one's there to pick the other one up how have you coped as a couple with it I think as a couple um there's been in all honesty breaking points without a doubt um and I think anyone that has been on a journey like this will probably agree it's inevitable I think the difficult thing is that I saw it that I witnessed the cardiac arrest Mm -hmm. and that is something that will haunt me forever yeah and I feel like one thing I often say is that whilst and I'm not taking anything away from Jamie at Mm. all in in this whole journey but at any point that Sienna was seriously unwell with Jamie we were Mm -hmm. in a controlled environment a safe environment where we had 
a team of doctors looking after her. And so whilst it was fear, like fearful and frightening and scary, we were always in that environment. Mm-hmm. That we were yeah. kind of felt a bit safer. Mm-hmm. But for me on that day and Kaylee, it was just the scariest, scariest experience of my entire life. Like, and, and it's something you can't forget about. So I can just be hanging out the washing and all mm. that, and it will just flash into my head that an image, the image of her rolling, her eyes rolling, her gasping for breath. I will change her nappy. And for most people, it's just a nappy change. But I'll mm. her nappy and I've got that image of her laying in Kaylee's hallway. And it's those sorts of things that I think they stay with you. They never, ever leave you. Certain smells, certain, I can't see an ambulance without it coming straight back to me. And that is tough. Um, and and honest, in all honesty, with Jamie and I, um, there has been times when we have dealt with it in completely different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not sure that either one of them were right or wrong. They're just different. And it's almost like learning. He says he's had to learn to get to know a new Jodie. I'm yeah. not the same person. Um, yeah. And that's that's tough as well. Um, really tough. But you are strong. You're so strong. The other thing that I found particularly inspiring, I know I've said this to you before again, but a line that you said to me that I really stayed with me, that you refuse to live in fear of Brigada. You respect it. Yeah. You have a healthy respect for it, but you're not going to let it dictate the way your family lives their life. Yeah. And that's really empowering. And also the fact that you speak very frankly about how life has changed. I think inevitably it's going to change every day because you're yeah. introducing like you know medication and books mm. and she sleeps with like a monitor under her bed that every single night fires off her yeah. heart activity to the hospital and you know our, our lives do rev- revolve around hospital appointments and and that sort of thing now so inevitably our carefree lifestyle yeah. that we had has gone yeah it is very very difficult so but gradually little by little you kind of regain some of that control back mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. you grow stronger from it and she's doing you know she's had a, a good like stint of good health um, mm-hmm. and that does help definitely but we know that she's going to have more surgery we know that unfortunately like as she's shown us several times her her health can deteriorate in seconds do you just take it day by day? Is that how you cope? Yeah, we do. And I have good days and I have bad days. Um, mm-hmm. There are, um, yeah, without doubt, there are bad days and they can creep up on you with no warning whatsoever. Yeah. Um, there's definitely more good days now than bad days. Uh, one way in which life has shifted a bit is, I know that as a family, you'd always supported the work of the BHF even before this happened. But over the past year, you have worked tirelessly to support the work of the charity, you know, raising awareness um, through sharing Sienna's incredible story, your family's story, raising awareness of the importance of CPR training. Yeah. And also making sure that we're talking about BHF funded research into conditions like Brigada. Yeah. What inspires you to keep pushing on JD? Um, I know you've told me that the work you've done for us, for which we're so grateful, um, has given you a sense of purpose. Yeah. But what inspires you to keep finding the strength to to share your story? Yeah, I think you've you know you just said it there, but when something happens like this, there is no cure, um, and there's nothing I can do to make this go away. There's nothing I can do to make this better. I can't mm. fix this, so I have to channel all of this trauma into something positive. And I just find that working with the British Heart Foundation and everything I've been doing to raise awareness and to ring those bells for CPR and the importance of, of testing and research. That's all I can do. Um, mm-hmm. And I know that if the worst happened to Sienna, if she had another cardiac arrest and she didn't survive that, then I would know that I've given it my all, my absolute all to helping her and, to, and Theo as well. Yeah. You know, I've done everything I possibly can to, to help both of them. Um, and it isn't just that, but we're lucky to still have Sienna. And there are so many families um, that I follow their journeys and that you've spoken to 
they're not lucky enough to still have their children and mm. have sadly lost their children to to these heart conditions and some of them have got the strength and the courage which is incredible and I take my hat off to them to talk about mm-hmm. but for some yeah. of those families it's just too raw and I still have Sienna and she's my strength and she keeps me going and she gives me the yeah. life to continue to influence awareness and change um so for me I feel like I want to ring that bell for all of those families that haven't perhaps got the strength to to do that I think sometimes you have to realise that things happen to you for a reason. Mm. Maybe this was our purpose all along. Maybe this is what I was meant to do. Maybe, you know, we, maybe we are going to be the family that that is part of a breakthrough that, yeah. you know, and, and you've got to keep focused like that. And it's easier said than done. And I'm not always of that mindset. There's sometimes no. I wake up and I cry and I say, I can't do it today, Jamie. And I'm, I can't even get the O to school and you're going to do this. So I'm yeah. always this person that shows this, you know, that is strong and um, driven. Some days I just mm. want to sit on my sofa and just cry and say, why us? But actually, yeah. I look at those families that haven't still got their children. And I think, how lucky are we that we have still got her? And for as long as we've got her, I will have the strength to carry on raising awareness of these heart conditions and to support the British Heart Foundation. Yeah. I just, you're just such a powerhouse. It's so, honestly, you inspire me every day because I just think you're so incredibly brave. And I know that you support all the work that BHF does, but I know in particular, and we've, there's one particular BHF-funded professor who's Professor Elijah Bear, yeah. who is currently conducting research with his team into Brigada syndrome. You said to me how personally his work has touched your heart. And yeah. I just thought, as we're coming to the end of this podcast, if you could say anything to him or speak to him, what what would you tell him, do you think? Uh, a huge, huge thank you. When Sienna was diagnosed, the world seemed a really, really scary, dark, cold place. Um, and I remember Jamie went back to the uh, the accommodation that the hospital had provided, yeah. sleep, and I was alone in a London hospital, my whole world had changed in an instant and no one understood how I was feeling. And Mm -hmm. Google wasn't giving me the answers I needed. Um, And I was struggling to find anyone in a similar situation. From a medical side, I felt really scared. There was nothing Mm. that was was giving me answers that I needed. Um, And then Mm. I I came across Professor Elijah Bear and one of his reports. And reading that report, it told me that it was okay to feel scared. It justified my feelings of fear, concern, being scared. And it was almost like it said, yeah, you've got every reason to feel all of those things. But it all ended on like a this is what we're going to do about it. And yeah. it's the hope for the future. And this is, you know, this is all the work that we're doing, how it was going to be fixed and gave me hope yeah. that it will be. And I believe him and I believed the, in the work that he's doing. And yeah, it was just, for me, it was that moment of just thinking, this guy gets it. He, yeah. like, he gets it. And in, it was also in a way that I could understand. Yeah, it gave me a lot of, a lot of hope for the future and and yeah it's invaluable um and emotional I think, when you're in that situation. yeah I think that I mean I think that's lovely and I'm sure that would mean a great deal to him and just you know finally you, you've said that obviously the work that Professor Bear is doing has given you hope for the future what what are your hopes for the future what would you like the coming years to look like for Theo and Sienna um and what part do you think the BHF can play in that I just hope and pray that they each reach the next milestone in their lives. Yeah. I think that's how we can look at it right now. That's the easy mm-hmm. way to look at it, that they, that Sienna's next milestone is that she starts school. So let's hope mm-hmm. that she gets to that. And then it will be the next stage and the next stage. And, and for both of them, that's that's how I how I look at it. I think that I just want to live each day like, in the moment and I want to enjoy life and as we said we don't want to be scared of this condition but we do need to be respectful of it because it has affected our family hugely 
I've always understood the work of the British Heart Foundation and I've always mm-hmm. liked it. And I think anyone does. You ask anyone to name a, a charity, a worthwhile, amazing charity. And I think the British Heart Foundation is going to be on the top of most people's lists. Um, mm-hmm. But you don't truly, truly understand the impact, not just the impact, but like how reliant people are on yeah. the work because there is no cure for Sienna and Theo's heart condition and mine. And I think that I'm, I think that about myself, you know, what if I just go to sleep and don't wake up and they haven't got a mummy? That's really yeah. hard. Like, yeah, I just think I couldn't imagine that. Like not blowing my own trumpet, but I'm, I'm their world. Like they, they yeah. adore me. And if I wasn't here, how would that affect them? Like, and it, mm. it's a real fear of mine that one of us will, will be lost and you can't shake that feeling of being on borrowed time so I guess to capture all of that the BHF the work of the BHF gives us hope for more time and lets us dream of the future Mm -hmm. and yeah it gives us hope that there will be a breakthrough and that's all we can do just keep pushing on and keep hoping yeah keep pushing on and you're a big part of that story, the BHF story, because it's only through people like you sharing Sienna's story and your family's incredible story that we will get there. We will get there. But from my point of view as well, as a parent that has recently, you know, obviously we're, we're new to this medical world and we're new to the, yeah. um, being parents of medically complex children, I want to say thank you to the British Heart Foundation as well because thank you for giving us families the opportunity to share our stories and to raise awareness. Um, You know, we're just a normal family um, Mm -hmm. and our lives have changed in an instant and it can happen to anybody. And I just hope that it captures other people's hearts and makes people realise just how important the work of the British Heart Foundation is Um, because we we are now reliant on on you guys doing your thing (laughs) give us hope you know and to fix our little ones um so yeah thank you a huge thank you to the British Heart Foundation and I will forever be a huge supporter um (laughs) yeah thank you so much and thank you so much for appearing on the ticker tapes thanks for having me (laughs) the BHF is funding potentially life-changing research into Brigada syndrome and the current tireless work of Professor Elijah Baer and his team could have implications for how Brigada is diagnosed and treated in the future. As Jodie says, with the help of people like Professor Baer, we will drive forward to a brighter future for children like Sienna, Theo and their families, but the BHF can only continue to fund such work with your support. If you've got any questions or concerns about your heart or circulatory health and would find it helpful to speak with a cardiac nurse on the BHF's Heart Helpline, go to our website bhf.org.uk slash hearthelpline where you'll find all the contact options. You'll also find useful information in the episode notes and on our website bhf.org.uk. And if you've got your own heart story or have any thoughts on this episode, please get in touch by emailing the ticker tapes at bhf.org.uk. See you next time on The Ticker Tapes.